Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. One of the greatest questions in all of life is, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why is there sickness? It's one of the greatest challenges to Christianity. If you've ever talked to anyone who claims to be an atheist or an agnostic or just an anti-Christian or whatever they claim to be, one of the biggest problems people have with biblical Christianity or the idea of God at all is the problem of suffering. If God is so good and God is so powerful, why is there suffering and sickness and pain and death in the world? In fact, there's a whole discipline of theology called theodicy, not the odyssey, but theodicy that seeks to give an answer to that, to give vindication for the goodness and the righteousness of God, even giving an answer for why there's suffering and pain and death. Where is God's goodness and power in those things? And so today as we discover this name for God, Yahweh Rophe, or maybe you've heard it, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, we see those same questions raised once again. We hear the Lord's promise to be our healer. We see his name revealed to be our healer. And we still have to ask, well, does God heal? Can God heal? Does he always heal? Does he sometimes heal? Does he never heal? And why? And then we have to ask the question, is the healing that we're talking about physical healing? Is it mental, emotional, spiritual What about death? What do we do with the problem of death? Can we ask God to heal? Should we ask God to heal? Where does faith come in in asking God these questions? And where does that meet with God's sovereignty to do as he wills according to his own plan? Let's look today at Exodus chapter 15 verses 22 through 27 as we see this name, Yahweh Rophe, introduced to us and see the context where it comes up here. Exodus 15, verse 22. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Mar, they could not drink the water of Mar because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. I am Yahweh that just means the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. First, 
thing today is this is something completely different. And for all of you who get the Monty Python reference, bless you for those that don't, uh, don't worry about it. Now for something completely different. This is within the context of the crossing of the Red Sea. Remember that story? That is like the Bible story of the Old Testament to me. The crossing of the Red Sea and God parts the waters and then he drowns the Egyptians and Israel is finally free as they come to the other side. And there's a whole chapter devoted to the worship and the singing and the rejoicing because God has delivered his people in that way. But immediately here, beginning in verse 22, we see they take a different route. Off of the main route, now they are journeying into the wilderness. Three days, verse 22, it says, they spend now in the wilderness. And there's no water. They're thirsty. They're in need. And immediately the Israelites do what the Israelites tend to do best in the Old Testament. They begin to grumble against Moses. And we look at that and we say, how could they forget How could they forget what God has done for them in Egypt? How could they forget what God has just done for them, bringing them literally through the middle of an ocean and then drowning all their enemies behind them and setting their course for the promised land? How could they forget? Brothers and sisters, how often do we do the same thing and forget the faithfulness and the goodness of God? Decades passed, weeks passed, months passed, even three days passed. And yet we begin to grumble and to ask and to question, to complain against God as if we don't remember who he is or what he's done for us. Charles Spurgeon said that we tend to engrave our trials in marble and we tend to write our blessings in the sand. Faith has a very short memory, doesn't it? That memory of God's faithfulness and his goodness. And yet here we are in a very similar, familiar situation for the Israelites with a problem, a need, a very real need. They need water. They're going to survive. And yet here they are grumbling and forgetting what God has done for them to this point. And in verse 25, the Lord directs Moses' direction to a log or a tree. He says, put the log in the water and then the water becomes sweet. And there's all kinds of fun explanations that people have put out there for this, whether it's scientific or natural or supernatural or whatever happened. Whatever happened, this log is thrown into this body of water and it turns from bitter to sweet and the people are able to drink. And we look at this solution and we should take a pause and ask, why this? I mean, to this point, God has used Moses and his staff. From the moment he met Moses at the burning bush, he said, what's in your hand? The staff. The staff becomes a snake, and he turns the water to blood, and the frogs, and the locusts, and all this stuff performed by Moses. Even the crossing of the Red Sea was the lifting of Moses' staff. And so we come to this moment, we ask, why this? Why now? Why not the same old method, God? Why not do the same thing you've been doing? It worked for the plagues. It worked for the Red Sea. Why not now? And the simple answer here in verse 25 is because God says, do something different. God said so. That's a perfectly perfectly reasonable explanation to children, isn't it? Why? Because I said so. They don't think it's a good explanation, but it's a perfectly good explanation because I said so. And God says so. It might not be the conventional method by this point. Certainly not what they expected. But the people need to understand this isn't Egypt. This isn't the Red Sea. 
This is a different challenge. It's a different question. It's a different problem. It's a different day. And we should heed this. Churches, individuals, denominations, ministries, pastors, Christians, we should heed this word. God is working now. How often we slip into the mindset of, well, if it was just 40 years ago, if we could only go back 30 years, if we could only go back 50 years. I remember when I was a kid, guess what? We're not there anymore. The world isn't there anymore. And like it or not, Dumas is not there anymore. This is a new day, new challenges, new questions. Same old problem of sin, same old answer in the gospel, but everything in between that is so very different and it seems to change from day to day to day and all the more every day. This is not the same old thing and the same old thing won't do this time. And so whereas Moses would have used the staff and the people would have expected the staff, God says, hey, here's a new thing, throw a tree in it. And surely the people were tempted to question, surely Moses was tempted to question, but they don't. They obey, and God performs this miracle of making the water sweet. In the second part of verse 25, we see why God did all this. He says in the last part of verse 25, there he tested them. He tested them. He wanted to see if they would obey. He wanted to see what their response of faith would be to his new direction. No staff, no lifting up, no plagues, no seas parting. Throw a log in this water. In verse 26, he says, okay, if you'll continue to listen to me, if you'll continue to obey me, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians. Now, if we think about the plagues God brought upon the Egyptians... We don't really think disease, do we? He turned the water to blood. There were frogs, locusts, flies, gnats, darkness, hail, the death of the firstborn. We don't really, except for the boils, maybe we don't really think of diseases. But if you stop to think about all those things compounded on top of each other, there would have been a lot of sickness, a lot of nastiness, a lot of disease in Egypt. And God says, if you remember what I did to them, for their disobedience, if you'll listen to me and obey me and follow me and trust me, I will not bring any of that upon you. And then he says, for I am the Lord, your healer. I am Yahweh Rophe. That brings us to point number two today. God is the divine doctor. The word Rophe, which is the root here in the Lord, your healer, literally means a physician, a healer. One who makes well. A doctor in our terminology. And we sang about it today. My great physician heals the sick. The lost he came to save. Jesus is. God is the great physician. And there's physical healing here in this passage, isn't there? There's a physical problem. There's a physical answer. There's a physical warning against the plagues. And a physical promise. I will deliver you from those plagues. There's freedom here. God goes on to give the people these very detailed laws about diet and dress and sexuality and every other thing. You know, go read the book of Leviticus and you'll see how detailed the Lord gets about these things. Because there's a very real physical benefit to the people of Israel. He wants to preserve them and he wants them to live. There is physical benefit here. There is physical healing promised here. But in the midst of the physical... There is a very spiritual reality. 
Yes, Yahweh is a physical healer. We see that throughout Scripture. But we also see that he is much, much more. Yahweh heals on the outside. More importantly, though, Yahweh heals on the inside. And the physical, anything outward about it, is only a sign that points us to that spiritual, emotional, mental, whatever, healing. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, there's only really two places where we see a physical healing. Now, there's resurrections, but two physical healing moments. In Numbers 21, when God sends the serpents, remember, into the camp, and they're bitten, and they're sick, and he puts the serpent on the, the beam, and he says, look to the serpent and be healed. This foreshadowing of Christ on the cross. There's healing there. And there's a healing in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5 with Naaman, who dips seven times in the River Jordan, remember, and he comes out clean. You can sing the song here today. Only those really two times we see a focus on physical manifestations of healing. The Old Testament, oddly enough, seems to uniquely focus on the inward spiritual reality of healing. That's the message of the prophets. But as the prophets come and they preach repentance, turn to God, turn back to Yahweh, believe him, trust him, obey him, they're talking about the healing of the soul of the nation. The healing of the soul of these people. Reconciliation with God, forgiveness of sins, ultimate spiritual healing. That's the message of the prophets as God is revealed time and time again as the Savior and the Restorer and the Deliverer and the Healer. But even if the physical is not central to the story, the physical aspect is still there. Turn over to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35, in this prophecy of the coming kingdom of God. Isaiah 35, just verses 5 and 6. See this detailed promise of what happens when the kingdom of God and his Messiah comes. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Do you see this? This promise of the coming kingdom of God when the blind see and the lame leap and the mute speak and the deaf hear and the deaf live again. You see these promises of the coming kingdom of God. And then when we turn to the New Testament, specifically Matthew 4 verse 17. When Jesus announces the beginning of his ministry, this is what he says. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's one of the very first things that Jesus begins to preach. Repent for the kingdom. The kingdom that Isaiah was speaking of. The deaf hearing, the mute speaking, the dead living again. That kingdom, Jesus says, is at hand. Now that's just a very Bible way of saying the kingdom is here. And the kingdom is here in me, Jesus says, because I am the king of that kingdom. And through his preaching... And through his teaching and through his healing, Jesus reveals the reality of what Isaiah prophesied. And as he heals the blind and the deaf and the mute and the lame and raises the dead, people begin to see this is what the prophet spoke of. When John the Baptist is in prison, 
And John the Baptist is wondering if Jesus really is who he says he is. Jesus sends John's messengers back to him, and he tells them very simply, tell John what you see. And you know what they say they see? The deaf hear, the lame leap, the blind see. John would have known Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, and he would say, yeah, this is the one. This is what it looks like. Jesus bringing in the kingdom of God, reversing all of the curse and the fall back to Eden itself. And you see, this is what the modern prosperity, faith healing movements get wrong. Because the modern prosperity, faith healing, uh, charismatic healing movements focus on the physical healing. On the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And the whole thing they think is, well, Jesus did this. The apostles did this. We should see the same thing happening today. This is the norm. This is the standard. And they missed the point entirely. Jesus healed to reveal who he was. The apostles healed to show that the power and the authority of Jesus, who was who he said he was, was now operating through them. We don't see them trying to gain a crowd. In fact, miracles of Jesus often push away crowds, ironically enough. We don't see them trying to prove anything. We certainly don't see anybody doing it for money and promising healing for a certain money or an offering as the prosperity preachers do. No, the healing and the signs and the miracles throughout the Bible are a testament to who God is and they're a testament to who Jesus is and it's a sign that the kingdom is here in Jesus Christ. And forget, you know, even in the healing ministry of Jesus, the physical side of things, think of the deeper meaning of the spiritual side of things that Jesus was pointing to. While you're there in Isaiah, go over to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. This same servant who had come and healed the blind and the deaf and the dumb and the mute and everybody else. It's the same servant that Isaiah is speaking of here in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here we see the reality of the healing that Yahweh promises. Certainly physical aspects. Certainly physical healings happen and should happen. But the meaning and the reality underneath the physical healing is this physical healing. This spiritual healing, this servant who would take our sins on himself, 
who would bear the punishment on himself so that we might have peace, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be healed. And there are many who are tempted to take that verse, I think, out of context. And you might hear, by his stripes we are healed, or by his wounds we are healed, and say that that is this promise of physical healing. And again, while the physical aspect might be there and could be there, it is not the actual meaning of that word. Look at the context. He has laid on him our sorrows. He is afflicted by God. Our transgressions are on him, verse 5. Our iniquities are laid on him. The chastisement that brings us peace is on him. And so if we look at the context, all these promises are spiritual. Forgiveness of sins. Peace with God. That is the healing that Jesus' wounds promise us. Healing from sin. Healing from judgment. Healing from the wrath of God. The sinless Savior who would stand in your place and my place as God crushes him. Look at Isaiah 53 again, verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, He shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. There's the real healing that God brings, that you would be counted righteous because of the death of his son. The physical healing is a reality. It can be a reality. We should pray for that reality. But this is bigger. And this is better. This divine doctor doesn't only heal bodies and minds and hearts. He heals down to our very souls. So the question is, number three, is it okay to ask? I don't want you to misunderstand me here today. I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying. If you're here with sickness, if you're here with pain, disease, physical stuff, and if the question is, can God heal? Does God heal? Can I ask for that? The answer across the board is, of course. God heals. God can heal. And you can, and I would even say, you should ask for it. Paul did. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul asked the Lord three times to remove whatever this thorn in his flesh was. Some say it was not a physical problem. Seems to be a physical problem for me. But I don't know. But Paul asked three times for God to remove it. Now here's the thing we need to note though. God didn't remove it. But you know what he promised Paul? Even if I don't remove this, my grace will be sufficient for you. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. But it didn't keep Paul from asking. James, in his book, James 5, 14, he says we should ask. We're going to do this today. If any among you is sick, 
Let him ask the elders of the church to anoint him with oil and pray that he might be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. You know that part. James also said in James 4.2, here's why you don't have. You don't have because you don't ask. Christians, I think sometimes in our good, sincere, well-intended plans to avoid anything like the prosperity gospel. And I think sometimes we as Baptists, with all good intentions, trying to hold the truth, not wanting to be like those Pentecostal charismatic folks, I think we sometimes swing to the opposite extreme. And here's where it gets dangerous. Because it can be sinful. It can be pride. That we don't share our needs with each other. It can be prideful. Listen, that we don't ask God to do what we claim we believe he's able to do. And we say, well, my problem's too small. My pain, oh, that's nothing. That was just this. That was just this. That's nothing. I went to the doctor. I took medicine. And there's nothing about it. No, no big deal. Here's the thing. Your heavenly father desires for you to come to him. With the big things and with the very smallest things. Remember last week? God sees. God knows and God hears and God cares. Even for those seemingly small things that you didn't share with anyone, that you didn't bring up in prayer request time, that you don't want put on the prayer list, that you don't share with your pastors. At least share them with God and ask him. Your heavenly father delights when you ask him. Jesus said, I'm skipping ahead here back there, but I want to say this first now. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 11, your heavenly father delights to give good gifts to his children. So ask. In 1 John chapter 5, 14, we see this promise that if we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us and he answers us. And that's important. We ask, we bring our needs to the Lord, and I don't think it's some sort of weird cop-out to say, according to your will, Now, don't let that be a means of doubt, as if to say, God, I really don't think you can do this, and I really don't think you're going to do this, but I'm asking you anyway, oh, if it's your will. No, say, God, according to your will, hear my prayer. According to your will, answer my prayer. And here's the thing, one way or the other, God heals, whether you live or whether you die. Now, when I was little, I'd hear preachers say that, and I would hear someone that passed away, and the preacher would inevitably get up and say, you know, we prayed for brother so-and-so to be healed, but God had other plans, and God took him on to heaven, and that's way better. And I would think to myself, that's not better. They died. (laughs) They prayed to God to heal them, and they died. How is that an answer to prayer? Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What better way 
for God to heal someone than to give them the presence of Christ. Don't let that be a cop-out. Don't think of that as just our way of getting out of God healing people. That is God healing people. Think of Lazarus raised from the dead. But he would go on to die again. Because even that resurrection was not his ultimate healing. His ultimate healing was yet to come in the presence of God. Paul says, Romans 8, 18, that healing, that glory, the presence of God, the face of Jesus, it's not worth comparing to the suffering that we face now. It's okay to ask. We should ask. We should probably be praying for more sick people than we do. We should probably be coming to the elders more than we do to ask for prayer for that. Because God can and God does. We should also keep his goodness and his sovereignty. And in fact, that's what the whole anointing process is about. It's been so hijacked by a lot of weird people doing weird things that we forget what the oil means. In the Old Testament, when the oil was applied to furniture in the temple or the priest or the clothing, what did it say? This thing is set apart for God's use and God's service. Yes, it was a sign of the Holy Spirit and blessing and all that stuff, but number one, what it meant, this belongs to God. And that's what the application of oil to a believer in prayer for the sick means. God, we are giving this to you. We're giving this person to you. We're giving this need to you. But maybe you're here today, number four, with a deeper need. Perhaps your need goes deeper than a physical healing or a physical need. Perhaps that's what you think it is today. Maybe your sickness is deeper Your condition is far more grave because you are yet an unbeliever in your sin. And I want you to hear me today. That sickness, that pain, that suffering in sin is worse than anything physical. And Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Spiritually speaking... And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1, that apart from Christ, in fact, you are already dead in your sins and trespasses. That's worse than sick. Apart from Jesus, you're spiritually dead. And so you need something far better than a physical healing as much as you want that. You need something bigger than that. You need the ultimate healing resurrection for your soul you need the new birth you need to be born again you need the regenerating power of the holy spirit and the gospel comes and says like the old song i know a man who can i know a man who can do it and he'll do it for you today if you will turn to him in faith and repentance and ask him they call him the great physician And they say, just one touch of his garment will heal you. Here's the good news for you today, sinner, unbeliever. He's passing by today. 
He's here in his word, in his people, in his ordinances. Jesus is here. He's speaking. Will you reach out and touch him by faith? Will you cry out to him today, son of David, have mercy on me. Be healed down to your very soul. The Lord Jesus Christ is all these things we've been talking about. Jesus is Elohim Chaim, the living God. Jesus Christ is Elohim Elyon, the most high God. Jesus is Elohim Shaddai, the great God Almighty. Jesus is Elohim Roy, the God who sees. And today, Jesus is Yahweh Rophe, the Lord who heals. Malachi verse, or chapter 4, verse 2 prophesies the coming of the Messiah and said he's like, he's like the son of righteousness coming with healing in his wings who will be pierced and crushed and forsaken for you. So that you might ask him for physical healing. So that you might ask him for physical needs. But more than that, you can know healing in your very soul and heart. And the invitation for you today, if you're an unbeliever, is to look to him. To take hold of him by faith. To place your faith and trust in him and his person and his work and to be saved down in your very soul. To ask him today, believers, to ask him for healing in your body. Believers, to ask him for healing in your mind, your spirit. Believers, to ask him for healing in your families healing in your marriages, healing with your relationships, healing with your children, healing with your grandchildren, to ask him and to seek him, to lay aside that pride that keeps you from coming and keeps you from asking and to cry out and plead as if it were your last hope because here's the truth, it is your only hope. Go to doctors. We're not the weirdos that say don't go to doctors. (laughs) We're not the weirdos that say don't take medicine. God uses those things to accomplish his will of healing. Thank God for doctors and medicine and surgeons and everyone else that helps us see God's healing in our lives. Don't think that's not a miracle too. Also, never think that something just goes away. Don't we say that sometimes? a pain or a problem or something wrong with us. And, and I've sat there and prayed for myself, very recently actually, for, for God to take this thing away. And, and then he does. And what do we say? Well, it, it just went away. No, it just go away. God is in that. God is there. God is caring. God is healing. Ask him. Look to him. The truth today is God once made bitter waters sweet when an old man threw an old tree in a bitter body of water. 
And you're here today with bitterness, nastiness, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, whatever it is in your heart and your life. And God says, there's another old tree. There's another old tree that speaks healing. By his wounds, we are healed. Our Father and our God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your promise of healing. God, not just for our bodies and our minds. God, the promise that you've made to us that through the sacrifice that your suffering servant Jesus made for us, we can know healing in our souls, forgiveness of sins reconciliation with you, peace with you. And God, in this moment, as we turn to you in this time of response, I'm I'm just going to ask that you would, as we're going to sing, have your own way. God, remove our pride. Remove our arrogance. When we don't ask, when we don't seek, when we don't knock, when we don't trust you. Help us in this time to give our burdens to you as little as we might think they are. Help us to bring them to you and to leave them with you. God, in this dedicated time of prayer for those who are sick, that special prayer of healing, I ask that you'd bring them and ask that you would meet them either with the healing they ask for or with your grace, which is sufficient. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your healing power. We ask that you would move and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas.com hotmail.com. It's F-B-C-D-U-M-A-S at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.